Our theme for the year is hope. We hope you have the hope of Jesus Christ, not only personally, but then as a congregation as well. Notice the verses up front. If you can't see those banners way in the back, come on up, hope. We have an anchor and that hope, our anchor is Jesus Christ. It's been good to worship the Lord together. Let's continue to do that today. Uh, would you turn to Zechariah uh, chapter 1? We'll be reading verses 7 through 17 together. A little quiz for you today. Maybe you have a study Bible so you can cheat and look. But what does Zechariah mean? The Lord remembers. Okay. Did Zechariah's parents name him that? So every time they said his name, Zechariah, what are you doing? They would remember. <laughs> the Lord remembers. The Lord knows what he's doing. <laughs> but the Lord remembers. Was he born in Babylon as a captive? So they, they, they gave him that name. I don't know if this is their intentions or not, but they named him that name. So every time they would think about their son's name, they would remember that the Lord remembers that they were in exile, but God would keep his promises and they would get back to the land. Is that why they named him that? We don't know their intentions, but we can imagine that's a good possibility because God does remember his people. It's not just anyone that makes that promise, by the way. It's not some earthly king that wants you to believe in him so you pay his taxes and go to war for him. It's not some politician making some promise so that you get his vote so they can do their thing and, and keep them happy and you happy somewhat. It's not some preacher preaching his brand of religion so that you tithe and support his ministry and his fame and his fortune. It's God, the only God, the one God. There is no other God. He's in control and he's in charge. He is sovereign. It's, he's the one making the promise. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And we study his book and we read his word and we can believe it. He's controlled the future or has worked well in the past and been good. And he will keep his promises. So God sent Zechariah the prophet, whose name means the Lord remembers, to remind the Israelites who were back in the land and feeling small and weak and tired that that was true. They had been back in the land, and they had started so well to build the temple, to build the altar, to worship the Lord, but then politics got in the way. Their neighbors discouraged them and gave them counsel to not bother. Maybe they were saying things like, well, you know, you people all just get established. You know, get your families in order, get things going, get the businesses going, get the crops planted. And, and then maybe when you prove to the kings of Persia that you're really loyal, they'll let you or you can continue building the temple. And they had laid the foundation, but the work had stopped for 16 years. And then God sent Haggai to stir up the people's hearts to renew the work and building the temple to bring glory to God. And Zechariah was sent by God to fill those weak and fear-filled people's hearts with a vision for the glorious future. 
that God had in store for his people for that temple, for Jews and Gentiles who looked to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's inviting us to hear his truth this morning. Repent, turn to me, and I will return to you. Let's read Zechariah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the trees in the glen, and behind him were red sorrel and white horses. And then I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with him. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of, Israel, of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For why I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Let's pray. take a moment to pray. Lord God, in these next few minutes, would you... Enable us to understand your word. Again, we ask you to help our soul's ears to hear your truth and to embrace it, to believe it. Our eyes to see your glory and to understand so our minds will believe and obey. Lord, we ask you to do these things for your honor and glory. Our great God and Savior, the one who keeps his promises, who remembers his people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Zechariah had eight visions, and we believe that all happened in one night. That was quite an all-nighter. <laughs> and I don't think prophets got paid overtime either, but it would have been a long night, I think. And as we look at these eight visions, I hope to get through four today. I'm not going to explain all the details of the prophecies. That's better served in a class of Daniel, Zechariah, and Revelation to try and connect some of the prophetic things. But we do want to understand it, but the big idea is that our faith will believe the God of 520 B.C. in Zechariah's days, the God that we serve in 2020 A.D. and until Jesus returns. And he has made promises so this first vision, we see the first vision is a message of comfort. The Lord is watching over his people. At verse 8 we read, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. 
In the Hebrew, it just says, behold, a man, to get our attention. And it was at night, so I kind of, I don't know if Zechariah was in bed sleeping and had this vision. I don't know what, it, what he was doing, but it was in the night. I kind of picture a darkened theater, and then the Lord kind of reveals, so all attention is on the vision. That's just my little way of seeing it. I don't know what your picture is, but God got his attention. And there was this man, a man on a horse. In verse 8, he's called a man. In verse 11, he's called the angel of the Lord. In verse 13, he's called the Lord. So who is this man? It's the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his pre-incarnate form as the angel of God, as the man of God, as the son of God, as the God-creator. And what's with the horse? Well, horses were signs of prestige and power and authority. Kings had lots of horses. They were the high-tech instrument of the day. And if you think about it, for centuries and centuries and centuries, and even in World War II, horses were used in war. A red horse in the book of Revelation represents war. I'm not sure that has a big significant thing here, but we do know this. God will go to war for his people and protect them. And they were among the myrtle trees. And I don't know that I've ever seen a myrtle tree, but it's some kind of an evergreen tree. They're not big trees. They're not oaks. They're not towering cedars. They're short trees, 8, 10 feet tall. And it's down in the valley. They're in the glen. They were in a low spot. They were hiding among, think of Paul, I think of tall pine trees or some kind of a tree, and, and there's horses there. And it's like, what are they doing in the valleys? Well, it's good news. The Lord sent these horses and these riders to patrol the earth. Are they friend or foes? Well, they're friends. And what's their report? The report is the nations are at rest. Now, that could be a good thing because King Darius, the Persian king at the time, there was peace, so to speak, in the world. As I think about that, you know, the world's not at peace, right? There's only been a few days in the history of mankind that there's not been war. But I've lived in relative peace all my life. It's kind of amazing to be at peace, isn't it? Do you know that that's all the world really wants? Even our so-called enemies in the world, do you know what they want? Decent job. They want to support their family. They want to be able to to go to the store and have food. They want to enjoy life. They want to be somewhat comfortable. But we're never at peace. And the peace that the world creates is not okay. It's just okay, and it's not okay, because God has such a great, bigger peace waiting for us. So here's this vision. And the world's at peace. But then God wants to give a note to Zechariah to tell to the struggling, small and weak people in Jerusalem, that remnant, to encourage their hearts that the Lord is concerned about his people. Look at verse 11. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, we've patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, How long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judea? 
against which you've been angry these 70 years. The nations are at rest or at ease. You know, in other passages, when the nations are at ease, it means that they're proud, that they're kind of like, we've got this, that we're, things are headed in a good direction and we're going to keep it going that way. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Wow. They're at peace. They have an attitude that they got things under control, and God says, no, it's not at ease. I'm concerned for my people. I'm concerned for what's ahead. How long are you going to withhold blessing, Lord? It's been 70 years, a lifetime, three score and ten. Moses wrote in Psalm 90, he's a life, and if you get extra strength, you get to live till you're 80. Imagine 70 years of being frustrated and waiting for God to do something, a lifetime. The nations God had used to discipline Israel had gone too far in their rebellion, and they went out of bounds. And what does God say in verse 13? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked to me. Lord, how long are you going to withhold blessing? And here's the comforting words. So the angel who talked with me said, cry out. In other words, say this out loud. I'm jealous for Israel. They're not thrown aside. I love this city. I'm jealous for her. And I'm angry with the nations who went too far. Who, who carried my justice and took it into their own hands and did more than what I wanted them to. They hated the Jews for no just cause. So I will discipline them. And I'm going to raise up and fully restore Jerusalem. Cry out again, verse 17. My city shall again flow with prosperity. What a beautiful picture. Zechariah and the people couldn't see it. It's a good thing to feel small sometimes. Do you ever feel small? It's good to feel small before God, to know your place. Israel and Judah had been beaten down. In chapter 2, verse 21, it says their heads were down. They weren't looking up. They were just humbled. They were, they were in exile. They were enslaved. They were slaughtered. Their, their nation, their cities were destroyed. They had nothing. God humbled them so he could raise them up so they would come to their senses like the prodigal sons and daughters that they were so that they would be restored. Now, Pharaoh thought he was a big fish in a big pond. He was a baby guppy in this little fishbowl compared to the God of the universe who ruled all the nations and all the universe. He was nothing. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted like dust on the scales. <laughs> Do you bother to wipe the dust off your scales before you weigh anything? That's what, that's what the nations are compared to God. So it's good to feel small when you compare yourself to who God is. 
You know, it's interesting to me, too, in, in Isaiah, the prophet, God says this about Israel, about Judah, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest corner, saying to you, you are my, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Wow, if I was hearing that about me, and that's what God's saying about his people, it's like, we're pretty big stuff. God, I'm his friend. God's my friend, and, and he calls me his friend. And just in a few verses later, in chapter 41 of Isaiah, he says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I'm the one who helps you. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? He raises them up, and then he pulls them down. Why? just to remind them who he is and who we are, how gracious and good our God has been to us. When God calls you a worm, don't let that bother you. If I call you a worm, you can be offended because I'm just a worm too, maybe an amoeba. (laughs) But there's a time to feel big and strong, and fearless. I have not forgotten you, God says. I am your God, and I have great plans for you, Judah, Israel, the people of God. You're weak, and you're pathetic, and you're disobedient, and you're faithless, but I have a plan, and I will keep my promises, and you are going to be glorious. You're a holy nation, people of God. A kingdom of priests called by Jesus Christ to show off his glory. So it's time to know we're worms, but also to realize we are kings, sons and daughters of the Lord, priests, mediators for the God everlasting called and chosen and raised up in Christ. So be fearless. You're not small, you're not weak, and you're not alone. I hope that changes how I live this week and how we live together this week, wherever you go in your world and work or play or learn, and know that If you are a child of God, if you have embraced Christ, if you've believed in him, then you can be fearless because our greatest enemy, death, has no claim on us. We've sung it today. Do you believe it? So then I have nothing to fear because even if I die, I live because I am in Christ, the one who lives forever. Wow, that's great stuff. Amen. We can go home now. No. The unbelieving world may rail against God, may be indifferent to God, may hate him in Christ, but they can't win because Christ has been raised from the dead. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Do you know the answer to that? Nothing. We're more than conquerors because God takes care of his people. 
He does not forget his promises. And he gives his people a boost when we need it. Do you need a boost? We'll go back to Zechariah and just remember this week, if you need a boost this week, that God has great plans for me. He's going to complete that work. Let me hear it, Lord. Let me see it. Let me believe it. Let me embrace it. Let me live differently because it's true. Let's go to the second vision. Verse 18, And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? And he said, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah, to scatter it. Lift up your eyes and see. I love, I love that phrase, and it's repeated many times. And I lifted up my eyes and saw. Zechariah had his eyes down. Judah, the people, the remnant had its eyes down. They were cast down, and God says, lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Lift up your eyes. Are you upset by what's going on politically in the United States? Remember who we are, people. We're a drop from a bucket. Doesn't matter who's president. My king is Lord Jesus Christ. I live by his constitution. I live by his rules. I live by his commands. I have other work to do, other worries to worry about. Your parents, so yeah, you need to worry about your kids, but understand whose hands are they in. The Lord controls the nations. God's aware of the enemies. The horns are probably the nations around Judah, Syria. It was Babylon, and now it's Persia, and it's going to be Greece, and then it's going to be Rome. And there's always another nation that disciplines the bad ones, the ones who go too far. Why was the United States raised up? Was it for World War II to crush that evil? Have you ever wondered what's going to be raised up to crush us, to discipline us in our pride? I don't know. The key point is this, God is in control. Zechariah, you're aware of your oppressors, but don't forget, there's other nations that I'm going to bring along to bring my vengeance at just the right time. You can trust me. Lift up your eyes. Know where your help comes from. Whether it's 520 BC, first century Rome, end of the first century Rome, when people were being persecuted for following Christ, God is in control of the nations. No nation comes to power that God hasn't let happen because he's working out his good, his plan. Stay true to Jesus Christ, the king. Third vision, a vision of a man with a measuring line, chapter 2. And I lifted up my eyes and saw, again, lift up your eyes. Quit looking down here at the earth, Zechariah. Lift up your eyes and see what God is doing. 
And behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what its width and what, its, what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to me, Run and say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. <laughs> no walls. Jerusalem was vulnerable. Jerusalem was weak. Jerusalem was a pathetic city. Hardly anyone living in it. It was a remnant of what it used to be. It was supposedly the city of God, the dwelling place of God, the city of peace. And it was rubble. But God would send a man by the name of Nehemiah to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the gates. God had a plan. A lowly, vulnerable, and unglorious Jerusalem in the future was going to be nothing short of amazing. It's yet to come. A city without walls. Back then, that wasn't any kind of a city. No need for walls because God is its protector. Like God was a protector of Israel at the Red Sea when the fiery cloud came down and separated the army so that the Egyptians couldn't get to them until they walked through the Red Sea and dry ground. That's what God's going to be. And then he has an interesting message. Look at verse 6. Up, up. Get off your duff. Flee from the land of the north declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell in the daughter of Babylon, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent to me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. Get out of Babylon. Jeremiah, 70 years or so earlier, had said, settle in Babylon. Get married, have kids, get a job, be prosperous, bless that city, because that's the city God has called you to. But now he's saying, get out of there. Why? Because Babylon's a picture of the nations, the cities of the nations, who are disobeying God, who, are, who do not take into account who he is, who are proud and think they will fix and go on their own ways. He says, flee before I judge them. Flee Babylon like Lot should have fled Sodom. Don't miss God's city, the glorious Jerusalem, for the world's poor imitations. Rejoice, people of God. God is going to be living among you. Is God living among us now? The answer is yes. But this is going to be even better. Because it's going to be like Jesus living among us. So if you're sick, you're no longer sick. If you're dying, you won't die. He fixes it. He heals. He feeds. He teaches. He corrects. 
He loves, he embraces, he saves. And that's what God is going to do when he lives among us. It will be wonderful. And as I even talk about it right now, my mind, I can't even get a hold of that because I've never experienced that. And I don't know what that's like, but I can imagine it's going to be grand because the descriptions are only grand. You know what else is wonderful about this? The nations are going to come, it says at the end of the chapter, and embrace the Lord as well. And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. It's a picture of Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, when every nation and tribe and people and language are represented before the throne of God. Do you know that's part of our mission right now? To bring the nations to God, the stranger, the foreigner, the people that are different than us to God, be a part of that mission. I'm anxious to see how God sets it in our hearts to be a little different. Serving the world is sending out missionaries, but serving the nations that are right here in the future days here at Grace Chapel. One word of warning. Watch out, scoffers. If you don't flee Babylon, know what's going to happen. In the book of Revelation, there's this description in the future of people calling out to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne. Wow. Imagine being so terrified of God, of Christ, that you want to be hid by having the mountains fall on you. People of God, remember the Lord. Trust in the Lord because the Lord remembers his people. Be comforted. The Lord watches over you. Be comforted. Be secure. Know that you're secure. God's in control. Have hope. There's a glorious future ahead for all of God's people in the city of Zion. So we need to give thanks to God all the time. The fourth vision, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, standing on his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to him, Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity from I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. Reminds me of Job a little bit, doesn't it? Satan standing in heaven, standing beside Joshua, the high priest, and he's in his dirty play clothes, except they're supposed to be his holy church clothes, so to speak. He's mess. He's a priest. He's a high priest. He represents all the people of God, and Satan is there accusing him. He's guilty of sin. Joshua's unclean. 
And you know what's really amazing or true? I guess it's not so amazing. We know it's true. Satan has a case. Joshua's unfit to serve God. What's this facade? You hypocrites. You sinner. You represent God. You represent Israel. You're the high priest. Look how filthy, dirty you are. You're unworthy to stand in God's presence. But the Lord just rebukes him. The Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. The Lord who is sovereign over evil, over the devil, over his schemes. The Lord rebuke you, and God removes the dirty clothes. He snatched him out of the fire and saved him and rescued him and made him clean and perfect and beautiful, willing and able, excuse me, beautiful and able to serve in purity. He puts him in clean clothes. And that's what Christ has done for us. It's been so good this morning to sing about Jesus Christ. Because he makes us all new. Are you tired of who you are? Then give yourself to Christ. If you've not believed, why not become a new creature in him? Let him clean you up and send you in new directions. You have received Christ. But why not surrender more to him? Why not give all to him? Why worry so much? Why not trust him and surrender your life fully to him because he has made you clean? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read these verses in verse 17, familiar to verses to many. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let God make you new. All this is from God, it says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that is Christ, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Those who live by faith are protected. Those who believe in God will be made clean. This promised Savior is Jesus Christ, and he's the branch that was to come. He's the branch that Zechariah mentions in his prophecy in chapter 3. Look at verse 8. Hear now, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are signs. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. And who is that branch? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah wrote about him in his prophecy in chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see or decide by 
by disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Jesus Christ, the one we sing about, the one we worship, the one we believed in. Be encouraged, child of God. Are you feeling small and insignificant this morning? If not today, you have or you will. If you've never felt small before God, then you need to humble yourself and say, like Isaiah did, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a person of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. And God invites us to come to believe in Christ, to have our sins forgiven, to be made clean, to be made new, to be clothed in new clothes, to be able to serve God. Return to me, God says, and I will return to you. Lift up your eyes and look at me. Look what I have planned. So be comforted. God's watching over you. He never loses any of his own. Feel secure because God's in control. He's in control of your household. He's in control of your life. He knows what's going on, and if you trust in him, he will lead you to good things. Have hope. There's a great future, and you're protected because Jesus is the one being your advocate. He's the one defending you. He's the one who's made you clean. No one can accuse you of anything wrong because God is the judge and he's declared you righteous. David had it right. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Give thanks. We're going to pray together corporately so our prayers are going to come up and lead us and prayer together as a congregation. We want to do this regularly as we seek God's direction, as we seek God's blessing, as we seek to serve our great God in hope.